We have a number of visitors this morning, and you're welcome here. Glad that you're worshiping our God with us this morning. Um, it's been 20 years since I've written on my hand, but I didn't have anything to, to write on. The, the note is that Ronnie's wife, her name is not Linda, her name is Carol, Carol Singleton. She's having knee replacement surgery on Wednesday, the 2nd. So Carol, I, I hope it really goes well that God will bless you to have the replacement surgery. Um, so in the article for this morning in the bulletin, I wrote of a young experience I had. The very first year of my preaching was in 1991, and Tom Kinzel, he, um, he was preaching at Vivian Road in Kansas City, Missouri at the time, and we had this summer preacher training going on then, and I remember very distinctly about Tom because he had great influence on me. Number one, he was at that time, I think about 35 years old. Um, and so he, you know, that's young now, I'm <laughs> thinking about 35, but uh, he would wrestle with me. And we, there's two preachers going at it in the yard, two adult men, <laughs> kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but anyway, so Tom, and it, very athletic guy. We play basketball. We play football. Everything like that uh, with guys from church. And, and interestingly enough, for all the various influences, one of the most enjoyable influences that he had on me was this country songwriter slash singer who lives in Leaper's Fork, coincidentally. His name is Paul Overstreet. And what I loved about his songs was from the 1980s and early 1990s. Um, that all of these songs were like family-oriented, husband, wife, parent, child, um, songs that were biblically based, if you will, in the, the lyrics of the music. And I remember as I'm going through this, because this was the time I'm single, and I'm just looking for a wife, you know, and asking, you want to marry me, and that kind of thing, and <laughs> Julie says yes. And so... This was like my upbringing as far as music because I was not much of a country type singer type, but this, the words were just so powerful and they moved me so well. And for interestingly enough, for 25 plus almost 30 years of preaching and I've never preached on this from, a, from the parable standpoint, and I thought this is a perfect time to do that. A um, couple of reasons, I like being um, efficient as much as I can some call it lazy. I, I call it being very efficient. And that is, I was recently asked to preach up at Kemper Heights about the law of the sower. And with this being a new year and with regard to some of the things that had gone on in this past year, I thought this would be a great time for this kind of a sermon. That said, I want us to do just a very quick, I'm, we're not, this is not going to be the, like a New Year's resolution type sermon, although you can definitely apply it as such, but I do want to just spend a couple of minutes reflecting. And that one thing I want to say with regard to the body of believers here, we know, it's just a fact, that within our own lives, let alone comparing our lives to each other in this room, let alone out of this building, we look at life and we look at where we're going and saying, how much have I grown? And the reality is some of us in this room have grown leaps and bounds in their walk with God. That's wonderful. Some of us have grown at a snail's pace. 
I praise God for that growth too. The problem is sometimes in, in our comparing each other, we might kind of like, oh man, I really didn't grow much or maybe I took a step back this year because of, you know, and whatever the situation may be. The fact that you have faith in God is a great thing. I think because we get so reward-oriented and works-oriented that it's like all or nothing. And so some get discouraged if they don't have this great growth and if it doesn't compare to so-and-so, so-and-so forth. But I praise God for the fact that you have faith in him, not I want it to grow. I want your faith to grow. I want mine to grow. I want us to encourage each other. I want us to grow more than we have in the past. The reality is it doesn't always work out that way. That's reality. Imagine this. If every one of us, we grew at, I don't know, 8% growth for whatever that would look like in our walk with God. Every year, I mean, we should all have written the Bible ourselves by the time we get old. You know what I'm saying? So it just doesn't work out that way. The people in scriptures here that we have been reading about, there are times when they wane in their walk with God, their faith, but still have faith. And so I want that to be an encouragement because whether you grow a lot or you grow a little bit, the Lord still saves you because you need saving. Think about that. We all need saving. We need a savior. Whether we have... We're, we are spiritual giants or we're just little snails in our walk. And so keep that in mind. Rejoice that you belong to him. And that's the exhortation. And to live in the Lord until you die in the Lord. Just do the best that you can from that vantage point. That said, I want us to look at this, this sower and sowing, if you will, because we're talking about sowing love, right? And we're, we're talking sowing not sowing, and not sow in, so as some might venture into. But we're talking about the, the concept of sowing and reaping, right? Or reaping and sowing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. God is not mocked, right? Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And he goes on illustrating the one who sows to the flesh will of his flesh reap corruption. That's what happens. He says to the one who sows of the spirit to the spirit he will be able to reap. And so that's the concept that we're looking at. But we're fine-tuning this concept with regard to sowing love, right? So again, real simple. This is a law. And we're going to look at the law in just a generic standpoint. The law is when you sow according to the flesh, you're going to reap according to the flesh, right? You, you want to steal, steal stuff, eventually... If not sooner than later, you get caught. And some say, well, I never got caught. Don't brag, first of all. You need to repent if that's you. You're going to eventually reap, if not now, in eternity. This is the way you live. You sow according to the Spirit, right? That doesn't mean you get the immediate fruit right now. And maybe it does. But eventually, for eternity... You walk with the Spirit, you sow according to the Spirit, you're going to reap the things of the Spirit. That's just the law, right? So when we're talking about this law, it's like when we were doing our Bible study in the book of Proverbs. Those are generic laws. You do this, this is what happened. Raise your children in the Lord, parents. And when they're older, 
they'll not depart from the faith. That's law. And someone, and inevitably, someone's saying, but we try, we do. There's always going to be things that don't always work out. You can plant a seed in the ground and expect it to grow, but it doesn't necessarily mean everyone will grow, right? Even in good soil. So we're talking about these generic laws. And so when you're talking about sowing love, well, you get the idea. You should reap the benefits of sowing love. So that's the thing that we're looking at this morning. If we look at this law, right? If I just do this, I'll get these benefits. Um, someone was saying, if we, it, we will succeed if we do A, B, and C, and D. I'd venture to say, if I were to take a poll for all those that studied so, so super hard, have anyone ever failed at your quiz or your test that you studied extremely hard for? I did. Every, my first, first test or first quiz of every semester in college, every semester in college I failed. Everyone. Surprise I'm here. But you know, that doesn't mean that you fail at life because you're hardworking, it pays off. Eventually, because I learned how the instructors would give their quizzes or tests and what have you, I would get into B or an A in that particular course. It was a struggle. So you have to get out that fail, right? But that's the thing. Just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You, you have a farmer that plants seed and the crops don't always grow perfectly because there's other factors other than your hard work. So there's a variety of things that we're looking at. So when we're talking about you know, this concept of sowing love, it's from a law standpoint, very easy. You just do this and this is the result. But when life happens, it doesn't always happen that way. So book of Proverbs, as some of you that are in the, that had been in the Bible study, you will remember book of Proverbs, here's your law. But then we have this thing called Ecclesiastes where everything seems to be vanity, hevel. Like you work hard, you die young. The guy who's living in sin, he lives to a ripe old age. That doesn't seem fair, right? So same thing. When it comes to if I'm living this way, why doesn't God bless me? When he said, here's what happens when you sow this way, you're supposed to reap that way as well. So why doesn't it? So in Romans chapter 7, this is a passage, again, a number of us in this room are familiar with because it's been quoted, if not by me, many others in this room from time to time. I want you to go back to that text. And this will help us understand why it is that we don't always get, you know, if, if we do this, like math, we're supposed to have that as an answer. It doesn't always work out that way. So Romans 7, look at what the Apostle Paul is saying in the text here. I pick up in verse 21 because it's the whole thought from verse 13 following. He says in in most conclusive manner, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants or wills to do good. Right? So here's a law I find in me. I'm wanting to do good, but there's this law, like this generic practice that I don't always do that which I want to do. Evil is with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So 
here I am, I'm trying to do what's right. I desire to do what's right. But I've got this conflict because I don't always do what's right. So we're talking about sowing love. And why is it so hard to sow love when it's as simple as if you do this, this is what you're going to get. One reason is because we also sow other things. Anyone ever sin as a Christian? I mean, that, that's right there, reality. That here we are, we, we're here, we're worshiping God, we want to be faithful to Him. We want to live upright lives, and we end up doing things that are contrary to upright living. Right? Steve mentioned out of John, the Gospel of John, right, chapter 8, where here's a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We don't know her story. We don't know exactly what happened. We just have the, the, this one event in her life. For all we know, she'd been trying to serve the Lord, even up until that day. For all we know. Here's a man in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, right? God says, a man after my own heart, cutting adultery. So these are the realities that take place, right? You don't want to, to wash away or to kind of like put away, like act as if we've never sinned before. The reality is sometimes we don't think the way we ought to think. We don't say the things we need to be saying. Or sometimes we're, we're doing things we ought not to do. And, and all of that is just showing that we've got this conflict within us. That, that just simply doing what's right is not as easy as stating it to do. Sometimes you get the phrase, just do it, that Nike phrase, just do it. Right? We tell someone who is in a situation, just do it, and they're looking at you like, what do you think I have been trying to do for the last umpteen years? Been trying to just do it. Doesn't always happen that way. Right? By the way, Nike doesn't mean just do it. That's a Greek word, Nike. It means to overcome, and that's even through your failures. But, so here we got... This idea, right, that we want to do it, we don't always do it. Sometimes, sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we expect other people to do it first, right? Here is this person, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Look at, look at the text here. I'm going to go a little bit beyond what the context is and apply it to a principle within the statement here. But Matthew chapter 5, look at what, what Jesus is saying here and see if we don't always do the right thing. Sometimes we expect others to do the right thing first. So in chapter 25, verse, uh, in chapter 5, verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, this is a person who's going to go and, and worship God, right? Bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Well, if that brother has something against me, shouldn't he come to me? Isn't that my justification for not going to him first? Jesus said in verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. That's the whole thing. If you want to have a worship acceptable to God, be at peace with all. Be reconciled. If someone has something against you, don't wait for him. You take the first step. Right? But we're justified. I don't have anything against him. He's got something against me. So he should come to me first. That's the kind of selfish thinking that keeps us from loving the way we ought to love. Or we just give up easily, right? I planted the seed, 
and it didn't germinate. I give up. I've been there. Um, from a somewhat humorous standpoint, those of you that know me know I kill animals unintentionally. We tried raising rabbits. None of them alive today. We raised chickens. None of them. We've raised fish that are not supposed to die. They're not here. So do I give up? Well, some are saying, yes, please give up. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it's that mindset. You know, people who are champions, I'm not, and I'm using now you know, more life lessons, they don't give up. They, they work, they work, they work, and they fail, they fail. But that's what, that's what gets them through. I know a guy who um, I was doing, a, of course, you know, jiu-jitsu and what have you. And this guy does international competition and what have you. And, and every tournament I've ever seen him, he's lost every single tournament until a few weeks ago where in California he won the world championship first tournament he's ever won and that's after years of many many tournaments don't give up but what we often do is we give up so easily because whether we have not met our expectation that if I'm doing this I'm supposed to have this result or I'm doing this and I'm expecting someone else's whatever expectations and it does not come to pass whether it be another person or God himself hey God I've been praying to you and you have not answered my prayers right you probably need to sit down and talk to Abraham find out how long he had been praying for a child for a son of whom God had promised in Genesis 12 because I'm guaranteeing you it was a good 20 years of prayer It's not so easy to love. It's a very, very difficult thing to love when we're just looking at these three generic factors, and there's so many more. Sometimes it's, it's hard to love people because of who they are, right? So if we are going to be sowing love, then there's some things that we have in our control. God gave us the gift, the blessing of a limited sovereignty we have an ability to control certain aspects and guess what that is me that's as far as it can go as much as I like to think I have a level of authoritarian in me as far as being a father over my children I can't force them some of them saying yes you can dad you've done it for a number of years but no, in reality, like I can only force them to a certain point, right? I can't make them have a good heart. I can make them do chores, right? I can physically say, do this chore and that kind of thing. And that only works for so long. One thing I've learned is the only person and the only thing we can control is ourselves. And if we're looking at the concept of sowing love, there, there is a limit in this that we're going to have to accept and a lot of us, because of the society that we live in, we like control. And if we're not in control, we don't like it. That's a reality in so many arenas of our lives. So here's the things you can control. You control who you love. But herein lies the double-edged sword. Who did God tell us to love? Gen John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world. He didn't just love 
the good people that would make for good Christians. He loved all the world. He loved the murderer. He loves the homosexual. He loves the drug dealer and the drug addict. And he loves the person who lives in a nice house that has well-behaved children with a wonderful wife. He loves the world. When we control who we love, either we limit it to certain groups of individuals that we are comfortable with or we get out of our comfort zone and we love everybody. Now, loving someone does not mean you condone that you accept their sin. So make that very clear, right? I can have love for a serial murderer and still be just absolutely grossed out and horrified over the heinous acts of, of crime, murder. So the same thing is true. If we're going to look at this, here is the sower. And in the picture of, of this parable that is given, he sows and he sows. And he doesn't just sow on, on just good soil. Some of that sowing goes elsewhere, goes on the rocky soil, right? Goes on the roadside. Naturally, you're seeking honest and good hearts, so you're going to try and look for fertile ground. But you don't know who you're going to reach. And so the concept then is you control who you love, and hopefully you follow in the pattern of our God. When Jesus came into this world, he did not limit it just to the righteous among the Jews. There were tax collectors and sinners that he ate with, of whom the Jews themselves are like, if this man thought, if this man was a prophet, as he regards himself, why is he eating with these sinners? They had a concept of limiting who they loved. And Jesus expanded that concept to everyone. You choose not only who you love, but how you love them. Right? I love them if they love me. That's how some love. That's how... A number of us in this room may love. I love you until you stop loving me. You stop loving me, that's on you. You stop first. That's not what God did. Here, is, we're just studying Isaiah right now, and there's a history that Isaiah is giving to the, the nation of Israel, the uh, northern kingdom, uh, Ephraim, Samaria, that is, and then the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, Judah. And he's showing them that he was still loving them while they were forsaking him. You got all these books of the prophets that they're teaching Israel. Y'all keep forsaking God and God keeps on loving you, but you keep it up and you're going to go in. He's going to put you away, so to speak. How you react to others. Look at Matthew 5. Look at the illustration that is given here in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your, your right cheek, turn the other to him also. In other words, what he's saying is you're reacting differently. Instead of simply saying, well, in the name of justice, in the name of fairness, you take my eye, I take your eye. That's fair, even Stephen. Jesus, if, if he had that mentality, would have said, 
you wrongly accused me, I'm going to get you back. But instead, he goes to the cross for the ones who are killing him. So they can be saved? What kind of love is that? I call it divine love. I call it the kind of love that God is teaching us to have for each other and to people in this world that don't necessarily deserve your love. See, when, when you start doing that to some of us that are logically minded, we're like, I don't, why do you love that person that way? That doesn't make any sense. It's divine love. Divine love doesn't always make sense. You do things in the name of loving them for their soul's sake. So their soul can be saved. And you do things far greater and beyond what the world would think is worthy of that individual's love. That's the kind of love God wants us to have. And that's in your control. But it's hard. Ultimately then, that kind of concept of loving, it starts from within, right? It starts from this heart of ours. So the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, is like whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, think on these things, he says. Right? Philippians 4 verse 8 following. So imagine then, if you're going to have the ability, God is going to allow you the freedom, the prerogative to choose who you love and how you love, don't you have to be in a certain mindset to begin with? And that's also in your control. And so he tells you, here's what I want you to think on. I want you to think on these things so that you can love this way. You can sow love. Here's the thing. If we, we can go on and on talking about the nuances of this, I think you understand generally because it's not a difficult lesson to understand. That while you may practice these things, again, things may not always turn out the way you'd want. Because you're not in control beyond what you're able to do. Right? Here's a person who's worrying. Matthew chapter 6, he's worrying. Verse 24, 25, all the way through the end of the chapter. Like, how am I going to eat today? How am I going to have clothing to make it through this cold, wintry night? And he says, don't worry. Your father knows. Like, you know the flowers in the field? The grass in the field? They don't toil. They don't, they don't work. And yet he clothes them. Right? You're much more valuable than they are. But you trust in him. He is the one who gives the increase, right? You got one person who plants the seed. You got another person who waters. They have control. They have abilities within themselves to do certain things. But that's as far as it goes. Beyond that, there are a number of other factors. But ultimately, God is the reason why he's God in control. So God gives the increase. And the thing is, sometimes we want that increase in our time. But God looks beyond just you as an individual. He looks at this entire universe in light of his choice, his decision. And it's far greater than I could ever imagine. What seems so black and white to you and me at times seems so simple that, God, this is the right answer. This is how you should answer me, right? It's far greater because he doesn't look at just you. 
He looks at you individually and personally and intimately, but it's not limited to just you. And so we have to allow things that are out of our control to be left to God. While we sow this concept of love in our families, at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, right? Wherever we are in our little bubble of life, we've got to let go of that control. And just do what we can do and let God be God. And let us just be servants. In Galatians chapter 5, I want you to, to look at the text here because it's a passage we've read many, many times. But I want you to see how it, how it connects to you. In the text here of those who are sowing to the flesh, right, walking according to the things of the flesh, it says here. Look at what he says. While you may be sowing love... There are going to be individuals beyond your control who are sowing other things like adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry and sorcery and hatred and contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, hearsays, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveries, and all kinds of other things. That's going to make it hard for you to sow love. But just because they do that does not mean... You're not guaranteed of what reap or reaping that you're going to get. You are guaranteed. Look at what he says with regard to this concept of sowing according to the Spirit. In verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is basically saying you sow this, this is the fruit that you get. This is the reaping that you get. But these are the things that you're going to sow, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You sow that, you know what you're going to reap? What you've just sown. That's your fruit. And it doesn't always come out in, on this side of eternity looking like wonderful, wonderful gifts all the time. But I guarantee you, there's a lot more of that fruit that you get to witness, you get to enjoy, you get to experience when you live this way. I've said it once, I, I'll, I'm never going to shy away from it. My life before I was a Christian, ungodly. I'm having to pray to God so I don't either go to jail so that, you know, so that I don't become a dad too early in my life or whatever the situation is because that's the way I was living. It's just the reality of life when you don't live for the Lord. And you know what's so nice about being honest you don't have to hide the truth. There are blessings on this side of, of heaven. There's wonderful things that take place when you sow love. You have the opportunity by, by being a part of this church family to reap the benefits of being a part of this church family. Just think about who all in 2018 in our congregation who we've been able to bless and be blessed by. Just let it sink in for a little bit. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I've been, I cannot even thank you enough for all the blessings you've brought to me personally in 2018, let alone my family. It's beyond measure. And I'm grateful to God for you. Just imagine if we didn't have each other. Some of us are closer to each other than others. I get that. 
But again, remember the law of sowing. Kind of like when, when we talk about, I didn't get anything out of a church service. Did you sow anything? I didn't get out of anything out of my church family. Did you sow anything? I didn't get anything out of, and just fill in the blank, what did you sow? That's the law. And with the law come fruit. Consequences. Right? We see the established works of what we've done. And so knowing that there are going to be people that do things that make it hard for us to love, that things that are beyond our control, we keep on doing it because ultimately God is in control. And when he says when you seek his kingdom and you seek him first and foremost, he says, I will add you all these things. And when he adds all these things, it's not from a fleshly, selfish perspective. It's for an eternal reward perspective. That's, there's nothing better. I mean, we're on a threshold that we're right up against. And that threshold allows us to see this reality right here that God is promising us through Jesus Christ. I want you to read this text as the last text for us. Um, we, we've already read Romans chapter 7, right? Because we see that if we sow, we're going to wait on God for the results. I want you to see the results. 1 Corinthians 15. That whole passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. But I want you to see how the Apostle Paul writes about it with regard to this concept of sowing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a beautiful, beautiful text because there are those that are struggling with this concept, right? Because some believe once you're dead, you, you don't have anything called the afterlife. And he's saying if that's the case, then the whole premise of Christianity is in vanity. It's useless if that's the case. But he said, that's not the case. So in verse 35, someone with regard to this body of ours, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. So I want you to think about this concept of love. Because love is the ultimate epitome of this concept of sowing. Love is self-sacrificing. You have to put your will to death. And when you do so, it germinates life. I hope you get the play on what I'm saying with the reading here. Because that's what he's talking about. Uh, ultimately, I believe. So, notice again. Foolish one, verse 36. What you sow is not made alive until it dies. Or unless it dies. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases. And to each seed its own body. You sow love in the life of someone who doesn't deserve love as far as you're concerned. Maybe as far as they may be concerned. And watch that love bring life. That love that, that takes you to the uncomfortable places, the uncomfortable relationships, the people that others in our, in our society and sometimes even in the body of Christ because we've not all matured in our growth. But it takes us to people whose lives are in ruins, whose lives are messy, whose lives are just ugly to be around. And you love them. And you love them the way God loves. 
not the way us humans love at times. And you get to see people transformed by the grace of God. Let that sink in. Because for all that we've been able to reflect upon in our, you know, during the sermon, during whatever, from this past year or maybe in years past, there's much more growth for us. And there's going to be opportunities where you can take that and within your control, sow this concept of love in a way that in the past you would not have. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That we all grow this way. We do that. And maybe, I don't know, a year from now, however the sermon, if God allows me to be here in the pulpit, who knows what might happen, right? With my health. <coughs> Never know. Nowadays. Who knows if next year this time we'll reflect on more memories between now and then that we can rejoice in. And that's my prayer for us. Now, if you're here and you're saying, you know what? I want that in my life. That's the kind of church that I see in Scripture that I want to see in the Lord's church, and I want to be a part of that. Pray for me because I want to be a part of that. Or I want to be added to the Lord's kingdom where that reigns, that rules in our lives. Well, Jesus made it very clear. He wants you to start that first step in your control. And that is to give up your control. Die to self. And he uses that picture of baptism that you die to self so that he raises you to walk in newness. Newness of life, that is. Because you walk in him and you walk in his spirit. And you sow his spiritual qualities that are wrapped up in the word called love. And I pray that you take advantage of that invitation. And brethren, if you need prayers, whether it's here at the building or whenever, we've got wonderful leaders in our elders. We have wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ that you may be able to confide in. Ask for their prayers. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. But that's your invitation as we stand and sing the song.